The best of both worlds. You ever heard this statement before? The term best of both worlds is an idiom meaning simultaneously enjoying the best parts of two different activities, situations, etc. A situation in which you can enjoy the advantages of two very different things at the same time. As followers of Christ, we were made for two different worlds. We were made with this physical body for this physical world, and we have a soul and a spirit that make up the spiritual world. So we, we have the best of both worlds in a sense if we follow Christ. Here on earth, we've got this abundant life that Jesus uh, has promised us if we want to live it. And then secondly, of course, um, is, uh, is heaven. Writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is our text today. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Writing to the Hebrews, he says, Hebrew 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's why we need it so much. And I think sometimes that's why we don't pick it up because sometimes we don't want our thoughts and attitudes judged. We don't want our heart pricked or convicted. So it's easier to leave, <laughs> leave this over here and just kind of the only scripture you pick up maybe is what you hear on Sunday morning. And that's, that's not a good gig because you, you, you'll starve to death spiritually actually if you do that. From these two references of Paul, we see that man is a trinity. It is composed of body, soul, and spirit. Man was made in the image of God. In the Latin, it's a mago Dei. If you ever hear that, that's what that means. And God is a trinity. In the Old Testament, before the temple was built, they had the tabernacle. It was a tent surrounded by a court, which court was enclosed by a curtain fence. The tent was divided into two parts, one twice the length of the other by a veil or curtain. The larger part was entered from without by a curtain doorway and contained the table of showbread, altar of incense, and the seven-branch candlesticks. If you know anything about the Jewish faith, that's called the menorah. And this part was called the holy place. The smaller part was entered into from a holy place through the veil or dividing curtain and contained the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, is, is what, what the, the, the children of Israel carried from uh, in, into Israel and the, and the priest, the Levite priest would go ahead and they had it on poles and they were not allowed to touch it. If you touched it, you died. It was that sacred. And inside this Ark of the Covenant was a, a pot of manna, a golden pot of manna that reminded them of how God took care of them in the wilderness. And also Aaron's rod that he used down in Egypt and it still budded. It was still a piece of wood, but it was still alive. And then the stone tablets with the law on them. So that was, that was the Jews' sacred thing. Well, on top of this Ark of the Covenant was two ch cherubim, which were angels sitting there. And it's on top of this Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat is, is where God himself would dwell in his Shekinah glory. If you ever hear the word Shekinah glory, that means visible glory of God. And <coughs> Excuse me. And in the Old Testament, when they were, were, were leaving uh, Egypt and going to Israel, God led them. In the day, there was a pillar of cloud, and at night, it was a pillar of fire. So that was the visible glory of God. You knew that he was near. And I, I've always thought that was pretty cool that, 
they could lift that tent flap up at night and, and see the presence of God there. Well, God took up residence in his Shekinah glory. And this part of the tabernacle was called the most holy place. There were no windows in the tabernacle, and the only entrance was through the curtain doorway into the holy place. One thing that I've always thought interesting about the holy place, a priest, when he went in there once a year, tied a rope on his leg, and he had to be completely sinless. If he had any unconfessed sin in his life, he struck, God would strike him dead, and they'd have to drag his carcass out with that rope. He only went in there on one day a year, the Day of Atonement. He was making atonement for all the sins of the people. So that was, the, that was how holy this place was. And when you think about the tabernacle, it was used until Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, which had three parts as well. It's a type of the threefold nature of man, us. We are man. We have three nature, three parts. The courtyard represents his body, the holy place, his soul, and the most holy place, his spirit. There could be no communication between the courtyard and the most holy place, only through the holy place. So there can be no communication between a man's body and spirit, only through the soul. It's the only communication that there is. After the completion of the tabernacle, it remained empty of the presence of God until the Spirit of God descended and took up his residence in the most holy place. So a man may be complete as body, soul, and spirit. Every human that's born has body, soul, and spirit. And will remain unregenerate. That's the spiritual nature. It will remain unregenerate until the Holy Spirit enters and takes possession of the spirit compartment of his nature. And this happens when the new birth takes place. We, there's a little different names for it. Being saved coming to Christ, salvation. I like getting in the boat with Jesus. That makes more sense to me. Here I am, an unbeliever standing on the dock of life, and Jesus pulls his boat up, and I decide whether to get in the boat with him or not, and the Holy Spirit is the one prompting me to get in there. But it's after you've made that confession of faith is when this happens. So up until that time, your spirit compartment is dark and dormant, and black. It looks just, it's like that circle. And here's another, God, God entertains us with mysteries in life. I'm, a, I'm, I'm in full belief that babies are safe. The baby dies before it reaches age of accountability, it goes straight into heaven. I'm convinced of that. Now that age of accountability, it's different with different children. I have baptized five years old that came to Christ and understood it, and some don't, but that's the point. But when a person gets to the age of accountability that they understand, they understand there's a difference between right and wrong. They understand that they need Christ. Their spirit compartment is, it looks like that black hole. You talk about the black hole in space. Well, that's an unregenerate person. The threefold nature of man is, is brought out in this this diagram as we try to explain who we are as people. The outer circle stands for the body of man, the middle for the soul, and the inner the, the spirit, or what Paul calls this from Scripture. Carnal, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, that's the body. The natural, which is the soul, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, and the spiritual, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. These are the parts of man. 
So in this outer circle, the body is shown as touching the material world through the five senses that we have, sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. The gates to the soul are imagination, conscience, memory, and reason, and the affections. So the spirit receives impressions of outward and material things through the soul. The spiritual faculties of the spirit are faith, hope, reverence, prayer, and worship. So in his unfallen state, Adam and Eve in the garden, pristine. It, it's, it's beyond anything we could wrap our minds around what the Garden of Eden was like. Pristine conditions. Everything was perfect. Well, in that unfallen state, their spirit compartment, Adam and Eve, was alive with God because he spoke with them directly. Well, we know what happened. The human race fell in Adam. Sin closed the window of the spirit, pulled down the curtain, and the chamber of the spirit became a death chamber and remains so in every unregenerate, unbelieving heart today. So every human being that's drawing breath that doesn't know Christ, their spirit compartment looks just like that. The only thing that can change that is life and light that the Holy Spirit brings and floods that chamber with life and light, giving power to the new life in Christ. We see now why the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. They make no sense. Many of you have had discussion with people that are maybe even almost atheists, that they don't know God and they don't understand it. So when, you, when, when, when they see your life changing and, and maybe they see you doing service, maybe they see you going to Haiti or, or, or going to work with Samaritan's Purse on a hurricane or whatever, they, can't, they can picture that a little bit, but they don't understand it. And you know what baffles them the most? is why we would give this to the church because it's our most treasured thing in life. It's what we all work for. It's all what we all strive to have, to be able to buy things. And that's really, it really makes them scratch their head, especially if you, if you tithe or give a, a, a large amount of your income to further the kingdom. But that's because their spirit compartment is dark. And here's the thing about that. The spirit of natural man is not only darkened. His will stands as a guard at the door that prevents the entrance of the Holy Spirit. You've heard of strong-willed children. There are strong-willed people that will not surrender that will to God because they are the masters of their own ship, and they will decide on what they do and what they don't do. They're not going to have anybody, even God. God's not going to tell me what to do. Well, I'm sad about that, but nonetheless, that's what keeps God out sometimes. Until that will surrenders through the power of the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit can enter and take up his residence in the spirit of man. It's interesting to note to me that the Bible says we are a composite of spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that's our text today, says that. However, note that we don't phrase it in that order. We usually say body, soul, and spirit. We do this subconsciously. It is because we are so body conscious and that painful awareness too determines our evaluation of who we really are. After all, the body is visible. It's what we see. It's what we touch. So what do we do? We pet it. We pamper it. We tan it. We tone it. We measure it. We weigh it regularly. But one day it will go right back to the dust from which God created it. 
regardless of how much effort and time and money that we pour in to make ourselves look good. And don't get me wrong, it's not bad to look good. I'd rather look at you when you're looking good than when you're looking bad, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's overblown maybe sometimes. We are not just bodies, though. Our soul is the seat of our emotion. It is our feelings about ourselves that too often dictate our self-worth or lack of it. Man, I wished I was taller. I wished I was skinnier. I wished I was bigger. I wished I was smaller. It, it goes on and on and on. You hardly ever find a human being that's completely satisfied totally with himself. Inevitably, you ask somebody, what would you change about yourself? There would always be something. Our spirit is that part of us that will live as long as God lives. When Adam, when God breathed the breath of a mortal, eternal life into Adam's nostrils, man became immortal. You won't die. This lies. We leave this old carcass here, but you, you're going to live forever somewhere. That's, that's, <laughs> that's why it's so important that you make the somewhere the heaven instead of, instead of hell, actually. People don't choose hell. They just slide into it almost. They don't, they don't think about that. It is our spirit that connects with God's spirit. You know, if you're a believer, how that feels, how, that, how you sense that, that God is speaking to me, that we are his children. So who am I? I am a spirit soul. I am just living for a few short years in a body, and then I'm gone. And as Tony Campolo says, you take this old body, you put it in a box, go out and throw it in a hole, and we'll all come back here at Crossroads and eat potato salad. That's life. That's the reality of it. We, it, it it's not being sarcastic. I just think it's being honest. It, it is what it is. The marketplace is loaded with books and videos on self-image, and most of these deal only with the physical side of our being. They tell us how to dress for success. They have clever formulas for obtaining the upper hand in relationships. They focus on weight loss and other aspects of our physical appearance. And there are those that focus on the stole in the realm of emotions. These resources tell us things like how to win friends, how to hold on to our emotions so that we can obtain influence and advantage over others. But I am not my body, and I only have a soul. I am spirit. Therefore, the Bible is the best self-help, self-awareness, self-image, self-confidence book that is ever written because it's the only book that explains who I really am. It's it. There's no other. We can get close on some other things, but nothing explains me in terms that I can understand better than this. This is, this is the book. That's why, that's why we need it so much. Again, who am I? I am a spirit made in the very image of God. I am a spirit made in the very image of God. Can you say that with me? I am a spirit made in the very image of God. Do not forget that. And when the enemy comes to harass you, when the things around you are falling apart, you need to quote that. I am a spirit made in the very image of God. Jesus illustrated this point in Luke 16 with the story of the beggar and the rich man who both die. Lazarus, the beggar, died and was carried into Abraham's bosom. That's the Hebrew representation of heaven in verse 22, Luke 16. His body was in the grave, but he was in the bosom of Abraham. Why? Because Lazarus was the spirit and not a body. And the rich man, Jesus said, ended up in hell. So his body was in the grave, but his soul and his spirit 
were still alive. They were still active. They knew what was going on. He could still remember. He still had emotions. And he was tormented in that place. It said that he was burning up and that he was thirsty. And he, part of his torment would have been this, that on, on, in those days, paradise, torment. But this, evidently, this was God's plan to even make it worse than it already was, that there was a great gulf fixed that you couldn't come back and forth. But they could look over and see them. And here he was in all this agony and torment. And old Lazarus was over there having a big party. I imagine he was probably, I see, you get crazy on this story, but you could almost see him toasting. You want a drink? Too bad, man. You messed up. You didn't make the right choice. So now look where you're at. And he was also troubled about his brother's destiny. See, the rich man had five brothers that ignored God as well and didn't know him. And now he was banished in hell, and this rich man knew that an eternity of punishment for their sinfulness awaited them, and he couldn't do anything about it. He could not warn them. Be like, I don't know, I can't think of an analogy. Our only means of truly knowing God is by our spirit. It is impossible to have a spiritual relationship with God based on mere human knowledge. It's impossible. You can know about God, but that's not the same as knowing. As Jesus said to the woman at the well of Samaria, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Without a relation of spirit to spirit, you can never know God because, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So when you ask, who am I? I know that you are spirit. That's your real identity. That is the seat of your self-worth. Let's trace the life of the soul and spirit after they have left the body. In the account of the rich man and Lazarus, we have a description of the underworld. It, it's, 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 it's one of the few places in the Bible that, that God lifts the curtain on the supernatural and lets you see behind it. He wanted us to know this. That's why he told us this. Clarence Larkin had a chart of the underworld that you can Google that, and it's really interesting. Before the resurrection of Christ, the soul, the spirit of the righteous dead, went to paradise, the paradise compartment of the underworld. There Christ met the penitent thief after his death on the cross. Do you remember on the cross, on Golgotha, on Calvary, Jesus looked, and after he said, when he had that conversation with the thief, and the thief believed, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that's where they met up, paradise. On the day of his resurrection, Christ's soul and spirit returned from the underworld, but he did not return alone. He brought back with him all the occupants of the paradise compartment and locked it up and now has the keys of death and Hades, Revelation 118. In Hebrews, it said that when he did that, he led captivity captive. He took all the souls that had died believing in God before with him out of that place. And he took them with him. It says that here death stands for the grave and Hades for the underworld. Matthew 27, 52 and 53 alludes that he brought some back with him that got their glorified bodies with him. They were the first fruits of the resurrection, the scripture says. The rest were taken up to the third heaven. Our atmosphere 
is the first heaven on earth. And when you break out of gravity, you go into space. That's the second heaven. And the third heaven is the abode of God. It's where Paul was caught up to in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. And if you can remember that, Paul didn't say, I was. He said, I once knew a man that was caught up to a third heaven. And then it was so glorious that he couldn't put it in human terms. So he wasn't allowed to talk about it. But he got to see it. Paul called it paradise. There are all, there all the righteous dead that have died since Christ's resurrection go, that they may be with the Lord. Philippians 1, 23, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. There the souls of the righteous dead shall remain until the time comes for the resurrection of their bodies. Then when Christ comes back to meet his church in the air, he will bring back the souls of the righteous dead from paradise to the third heaven, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, and they will continue onto the earth and get their bodies, their resurrected bodies from the grave, and then ascend again together with the translated saints to meet the Lord in the air. If you know that First Thessalonian passage, it says, For the Lord himself fell the shin from heaven with a shout with the voice of God, or the trump of God and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what it's talking about here. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and they will be reunited. Their spirit will be reunited with their bodies because they're going to need it to reign a thousand years on earth during the millennium. So far as we know, the souls of the wicked dead are still in the hell compartment of the underworld. Now think about that. Over 2,000 years ago was when Lazarus and the rich man had their encounter in the underworld. And they looked over and saw the paradise side and asked Abraham, say, Abraham, could Lazarus just dip his finger? I don't even want a glass of water. Could you just dip his finger and come over here and touch my lips? Because I am in agony in this fire. He's still asking for that. But nonetheless, the paradise side is gone, and now all he sees is torment. They will remain there until the second resurrection, those that have died without Christ, when they will return to the earth and get their bodies and then go to the great white throne judgment. And after judgment day, they will be sentenced to the second death, which means that they shall die again in the sense of losing their bodies the second time, and as disembodied spirits be cast into the lake of fire, to suffer in flames forever. There are many in this world that says this is a fairy tale. That it was concocted out of the mind of 66 authors over a period of time, which we call the Bible. I'm here to tell you this morning that this is real. As God bears witness with my spirit and with yours, hopefully, that we know the truth. And as Diane said, that lyric in that song, and the truth will what? It'll set you free. <laughs> For the lost, this will be the worst of both worlds. You talk about regret. Can you imagine a person that's ignored God most of their life and some of their family members and people that they love, maybe they worked with, have at least tried to at least tell them about the Lord. Nah, you know what? I don't think so. I don't, I don't want any part of that. And then one day, their heart will stop and they'll wake up in a place that they're never going to get out of. I, there's things I dread in life. 
I don't like surgery. I don't like a lot of things. Uh, a week ago, last Wednesday night, I passed a kidney stone. That's about as, that's pretty good. <laughs> Man, that is wild. If you've done that, God bless you. But my goodness gracious, that was about as, wow. I feel sorry for girls if that's the way it is like having a baby. And this bad boy wasn't an eight or nine pounder. But anyhow. But I know it's going to get better. We have pain. You come home from surgery, and there's a lot of different pain medicines. I know you, they give you Vicodin or whatever, Oxycontin or whatever. I don't know if they still use that or not. Some of it's addictive. Some of it's not. But nonetheless, I know that if I'm in tremendous pain, that if I pop this pill in, in, in a matter of minutes, I, I, I'll get better. I, I, can't, I can't put in language, in words, what a shock what a terror, what a start that will be for those that wake up in hell. And they're there forever. There's no, there's no second chances. But for us who are in Christ, we have the best of both worlds. Here on earth, we have abundant life. Jesus promised in 1010 that you'd have abundant life and you'd live it in all of its fullness. That through those five senses, you would enjoy what God has given us. And you give him glory for it. And then after you discard this old carcass, you go into eternal, unending life in the Father's house forever. I hope you take your self-worth and your self-image from how God sees you and the fact that at your core, the real you, you are a spirit. And since we human beings are essence, in essence spirit, we cannot depend on the physical for a proper image. The clothes we wear and how we look should not determine our self-worth. If I was God, I would have a dress code for every human. And you know what it'd be? Bib overalls and flannel shirts. We'd all wear them and everybody. And I don't care what color your shirt is. Don't matter. But it's not like that, I know. Neither should our emotions, the sole part of us, determine our self-worth. All the positive thinking and pumping ourselves up all of our taking hold of our emotions will never provide a healthy or accurate sense of worth. We have to discover for ourselves who we really are. A spirit led by God's own spirit, Romans 8, 14. Only in the person of Christ in us will we find true self-worth. And when our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit, then we will have an accurate and healthy self-image. Colossians 1, 27 Christ in you is the hope of glory. As you read that, I want you to read it out loud with me and insert your name as Christ in me is the hope of glory. Say that with me. Christ in me is the hope of glory. It's the hope that we hold on to. It's the hope that we have. No one on this planet will ever have the same DNA exactly like you. And in all your uniqueness, you are indescribably valuable to God valuable, a treasure, a treasure that he has placed his spirit in, a treasure that he has offered and given you spiritual gifts to use in his kingdom, empowered by the Holy Spirit that you're able to use them. That, that's how valuable you are. So remember that you are a spirit simply living in a body for a short time. And I am convinced this morning, if we fed our spirits as much as we feed these bodies, we would all be in great spiritual shape. 
we as followers of Christ have that opportunity, and I hope that you're taking advantage of it. That you can live an abundant life here with the hope of glory that after we leave this place. And it comes down this this morning. It's it's the question that we ask. It's the most important question that's ever asked from this stage. Are you a child of God? Do you belong to Christ? Have you made that commitment? It's the most important commitment or choice that you'll make on this earth because it decides a lot of things. It decides how you live here. It decides what kind of spouse you're going to be. It decides on on what kind of citizen you're going to be in the community. It decides everything, actually. It's, 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 It's our choice. And so this morning, I... I hope you know him. And if you don't, we invite you to come. We will show you, pray with you, whatever. Or maybe you just need to get uh, reacquainted with him. Lord, we love you. I can't state that enough. How grateful we are that you put up with us sometimes. Because I know we're not perfect children. I want us to be. I want myself to be. But I'm not always And Lord, you continue to love me. You continue to fill me, Holy Spirit, with you and give me peace and give me direction and guidance. And what a great family you've given me to be a part of. We thank you for that. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray we're honest with you. As you come to us and speak to our hearts, whatever we need to do, that we do it. And that is my prayer here this morning. And help us to realize who we are in you, Lord. We are a spirit made in the very image of you. What a, what a glorious thing that is, and it's valuable to us. So we give you praise and glory, Lord. Just help us be honest this morning, for we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.